friends? It's been a while since I've got to teach. I'm super excited. I'm pumped about this. We're finishing up our series on Well Connected. And I say I'm pumped and excited about it, but I tell you, I'm preaching on suiting up the armor of God and spiritual warfare. It's been kind of a rough one to get through. But you know what? I've been challenged and I've been convicted and I hope and pray that today as God brings his word to us that we are all challenged to leave this place living radically for God because that is exactly what we're called to do when we are called to suit up. So in order to give the armor its due diligence, we first have to talk about why we have the armor, why we need the armor. We're going to talk about the villain. We all know that in every story we love, in every book we've read, in every show we watch and movie, there's a villain. There's a bad guy. And that doesn't, it's not any different for God's story and for our story. There is a villain. And that villain is evil. And Paul talks a lot about evil. And even in his letter to Ephesians, he also talks about it in chapter 2. And I want to spend just a few minutes in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, really quickly. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. So he basically lines out here three instruments of evil. The world, the devil, as we like to call it, and sin. And so I want to spend just a few minutes in each of these instruments. Okay, so first he talks about the world. Now this is not the created world. This is not the trees and the earth and the animals and the waters. It's not that. So I think a better word, modern word, would be systems. The words that Paul uses throughout his letters are authorities, principalities, powers, rulers. In modern terms that can mean institutions, organizations, nation, states. Those are the types of uh, corporations that, while are meant to be helpful, are typically corrupt. They are led by this spiritual dark force. And Paul knew that more times than not, when grouped together corporately, they were going to be motivated by evil and by fleshly wants instead of pure godly wants. Next, we have the ruler of the power of the air. Let me tell you, don't ever Google the devil you're going to come up with some really crazy things out there. So I chose these because what happens is I think all religions have personified the evil one, the ruler of the power of the air as the devil. And they did that because we could relate. We could make it real if we make it personified. And so I think, though, what's happened over time is we've made it into a character, a cartoon character. It's lessened its severity. It's lessened its power. I like to really call it the enemy the enemy. And I think Paul has made this important for us. It's an important lesson for us because he doesn't want us to lessen the enemy's power that it has in the world. C.S. Lewis, in the beginning of his letter, the Screwtape Letters, his book, he says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So there's this balance of giving and understanding evil too much and focusing on it so much and then also not worrying about it at all and living as though it doesn't exist. But God needs us to be grounded in the truth 
to be grounded in the truth that we live in a world that while is created good, has evil in it. It is a part of God's story and it is a part of our story. And then lastly, we have sin. When humanity was created, its sole purpose was for union with God, to dwell with God. And then in came sin. So we live on this earth not able to fully have that union with God, but still desiring that union with God. And even though we have the Holy Spirit here to help us and guide us, we still turn back, continually missing the mark, going back to that sinful nature. But what happens is because we have this deep longing, this deep desire to be with God, we try to fill it. We try to fill it with other stuff. And the world will tell us, this will make you happy. Do this if you want to get satisfaction. And we keep doing that, but it keeps, it doesn't work. Because the only thing that's going to work is a deep, meaningful relationship with God. So that's, in a nutshell, evil. That's our villain. That's our bad guy in our story. And because of that, we have to have an armor to protect us. So we're going to talk about this armor now. We're going to visit Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Okay, the word of the Lord. So let's really dig into the armor of God. Okay, so first of all, let's, let's remember and realize where Paul was. Okay, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, and he was more than likely chained to a Roman soldier. So the visualization of this armor was so real for him because he saw it every single day. And the way in which he gives us the armor is in the way in which they probably would have put it on. And so the first pieces he talks about is the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Now the belt, or the girdle as some call it, you've probably heard gird up. The girdle really isn't a part of the armor per se, but it gets right into the heart of where Jesus always goes, which is in the heart. We have to put on that belt of truth first. We have to accept the truth of who we are, and that is sinners, but deeply loved and transformed by Jesus' love and sacrifice that he made on the cross and through salvation. We have to accept that truth first so that inwardly, when we put that armor on outwardly, we know who is protecting us. We know where our strength is coming from. So we put on this truth. 
And then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this is not necessarily the imparted righteousness that comes to us from God that says we can be Christ-like. This is our acts of righteousness. This is us saying and acknowledging that we believe in the law of God and we are loyal only to the law of God. And we declare it as that. If we don't do that, if we don't, if we don't act out in these righteousness ways, then we're going to have this gaping hole in our armor and the most vulnerable parts of ourselves are going to be exposed. And then we have our shoes of readiness to proclaim peace. We don't have equipment on our feet to march into battle, to run into war. We don't have to do that. War is already happening. We are already living in it. It has been happening since the very beginning of time. And that war is between God and the enemy. And we are fighting with God, standing firm in that war, with our feet firmly planted on God's ground, on God's truth, knowing where we stand and with whom we stand. And then we have the shield of faith. And I realize I have this picture. It was nice and concise and had all six parts of it. But this really isn't accurate for what the shield of faith would really have looked like. The shield for the Roman soldier would have looked more like this. And interestingly enough, the same word that Paul uses here for shield in Greek also means door. It was large. It would cover the whole body if it needed to. And the shield of faith, this reliance of protection, comes from our faith in God. Faith that God is who he says he is, that he is our protector, he is where our strength comes from, and he is the king of kings, and he reigns over heaven and earth. Now, this shield of faith is for our whole body, because that is exactly what we offer up to God when we commit to God in all of his good ways. And, and I think sometimes in the New Testament we use a lot of words, and even in modern words we use a lot of words for mind, body, spirit, and all these things. But the Hebrews got it right. They said the word nephesh, and nephesh means this whole package, every single part of us, our mind, our body, and our spirit. That is all, everything, every fiber of our being is committed to God. And so we have this shield of faith that protects our whole being as we go into war with God and we fight alongside him against the enemy. And then we have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And Paul emphasizes take here because this is nothing we can do anything with except accept. We can only accept salvation, and we can only accept the word, because those are both gifts from God. He empowers us to use these gifts, to use this helmet of salvation, to use the word, to establish our lives in the freedom and in the truth that this word brings to others. We are to share this word with the world. We are to stand firmly and to reflect the light of God and the love of God through our words and our actions, being secure in these gifts that we have accepted from God. All right, so that's the armor. So now I hope that I can sort of bring together here the armor and the villain and why we have to wear this armor and really wrap it all together for us in a nice bow. But I want to visit chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 12 again. 
And I want you to say this bold part with me. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh. Our enemies is not against blood and flesh. Our enemies are basically what Paul is saying, not our enemies. At least not the ones we need our armor for. The enemy is this underlined portion, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And we talked about earlier what those were, the enemy, the devil, the prince of darkness, Satan, the systems, the corporations, the organizations, the institution. And I want to go back to how Paul worded this enemy, the ruler of the power of the air. The ruler of the power of the air. What do we do with air when we don't have these masks on? We breathe it. We breathe air. That is how saturated our earth is with evil. It is a, he is the ruler over the power of the air. That is how dire Paul says it is for us to realize that the enemy is real. And that we have to armor up against it. And I feel like we've spent so much time here. This is where C.S. Lewis would say, right? This is, this is where we've put all of our energy into, is into sin. Now, don't leave this place saying Ashley said sin is not a big deal. That's not what Ashley's saying. What I am saying is that we have put all our focus on sin, on naming what's sin, what's not sin, what act can we do and what act can we not do, and how do you do this and that and whatever. And we've spent so much time there that what we've done is we've turned against one another. We're condemning one another. We're judging one another. We're snarling at one another. We're excluding people. When really what we should do is understand we are all sinners saved by God's grace, and we need compassion and grace and love, not only for ourselves, but for others. I think we've spent so much time here that we've lessened the other two instruments of evil. When we look at the person of Jesus, we as usual see how we should deal with people, how we should deal with this evil. When Jesus met people and individuals, he met them where they were. And he loved them, and he forgave them. He shared with them the good news about who he was and what he was bringing, the kingdom. And thank goodness, thank goodness, friends, he still does that today. I need it every single day. Jesus lived simply, and he loved boldly. And I want to spend some time in some stories about the individuals that he met. you got Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. But Jesus shared with him the most famous, important verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. And I wonder if when Jesus said that to Nicodemus, if he didn't say it in a way that was, For, for God so loved you, Nicodemus. And then you have the Samaritan woman, who Jesus accepted a drink from and actually talked with, which was unheard of and totally wrong to do because Jews and Samaritans were not supposed to interact. She had five husbands and was living with another man now. But what did Jesus offer her? The living water. She would never thirst again. And then she said, you will worship 
You will worship wherever because I am the Messiah, he told her. And then you have the woman who had endometriosis, who was ostracized, not allowed to go in the synagogue because she had this illness. She was alone. But Jesus healed her, and he not, he not only healed her condition, but he healed her loneliness, her rejection, because he called her daughter. He welcomed her into God's family. And then the criminal on the cross, where Jesus told him, you will be with me in paradise, as they both hung as criminals on crosses. Now I could go on and on and on with all the different stories of Jesus and how he welcomed and loved individuals. But I want us to hear this part. I want us to hear what Jesus did and didn't do. Jesus forgave and loved on Nicodemus the Pharisee, but not the corrupt system of which Nicodemus was a part of that was greedy, powerful, and eventually had the blood of Jesus' life on their hands. Jesus forgave and loved on the Samaritan woman and included her and loved her, but not the culture and the system that excluded her because of her ethnicity. Jesus forgave and healed and loved the woman with endometriosis, but not the culture and the law and the religious system that excluded her, made her feel alone, and rejected her because she had a disability. Jesus forgave and loved the criminal on the cross, assuring him that he would be in paradise with Jesus, but not the corrupt and criminal system that landed them both on the cross to die horrific deaths. Now, I can include all kinds of systems today. I can talk about all kinds of scandals and make it very modern for us, but I'm not going to do that. I think looking at Jesus' life, looking at these examples, is enough to let us know how terribly wrong we've gotten how to treat one another. We've lumped one another into systems and classes and stereotypes instead of holding space for individual stories. Jesus didn't come here to condemn individuals, hallelujah, but he came here to defend them, to free them, to offer them love and to include them. He came here to reveal the real enemy in the world. Now Richard Rohr says this about Jesus. At the end of his life, he surrenders to the punitive systems of both empire and religion by letting them judge, torture, and murder him. You know Jesus could have called all the angels to wipe it all out. He could have destroyed it easily, but he didn't. He died, he suffered on that cross so that the evil, the corruption, the power, the control would be revealed. He is finally a full victim of the systems that he refused to worship. And take it one step further, that he refused to take part in. As a church, we stay real connected to God so that we can wear the whole armor and stand ready to defend not only ourselves, but others against the real enemy, the villain, the evil one. And with this armor, we are called to protect even those who don't look like us, who don't believe like us, and don't vote like us. If we revisit this shield, 
We see, yes, it can protect a full body, but when used together, it can protect others. Our stories are not only about us. And by wearing the armor, we don't tear each other down. We don't use it to hurt one another. We use it to build each other up. We use it to protect one another. We use it to support one another. Our battles are far, far greater than fighting one another over our sins. Our battles are with God in the fight of the greater real enemy in the world. Corruption, injustice, oppression, greed, power, control, hate. I could go on and on and on. Let's not miss the enemy that Jesus surrendered to and died to reveal to us. Let's not live our lives in a way that causes Jesus' death to be in vain. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you loved us enough to come here to live as a human in this world that rejected you. That you revealed to us evil, and now you call us to stand against it. Lord, we don't know what that looks like. It's so big. It can be overwhelming to think about how we are to armor up, to suit up, to go against this evil one. But Lord, we know that if we stay in your will, if we keep coming back to you, if we keep lifting ourselves to you, if we keep praying to you and giving our lives over to you, that you're going to guide us, you're going to show us, you're going to give us the words to say, you're going to give us the tasks to do, you're going to help us, Lord, be the hands and feet of Jesus that this world so desperately needs. Lord, I pray that every person hearing this will be challenged. Will be challenged to, to see the great love that you have for this world and for the individuals in it. So that we can meet people where they are. So that we can grow in you and become more Christ-like. Lord, I thank you and I love you and we praise these, pray, uh, we lift these things up to you, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.